Amen. You can be seated. Hey, that worked out well. <laughs> Yahweh, faithful God. Amen. Isn't he faithful? Um, actually, you don't have to ask if I'm on. It sounds like I'm on. That's a good thing. Um, welcome. Glad you're here this morning. Um, we've been talking about faith, actually. Yahweh, faithful God. And that fits right with what we've been talking about for the past um, several weeks. And um, just I'm kind of curious... Um, what you think about when you think about faith. And um, that can be kind of an abstract question, and you might be thinking, you know, that's kind of tough to answer. But, um, you know, I, I don't know about you, or, you know, if you think about the word faith, sometimes random images come, come to our minds, and it can seem pretty abstract, pretty difficult to understand. Um, but when I think about faith, I have a really complex um, philosophical view of, uh, uh, of what fa- uh, faith looks like, and it's really um, Wiley Coyote uh, in the cartoon. <laughs> Um, standing out, hey, there he is, um, standing out over, over thin air, uh, you know, just after chasing Roadrunner, headed right over thin air, realizing, you know, he's got a problem. Um, so uh, I, I know what you're thinking, this guy's, this guy's really deep. Um, but what I'm not, not sure of is whether or not the Bible really, really talks about faith in that way. Uh, in fact, I, I really don't think it does. Um, I looked for the book of Wiley Coyote in the Bible, I, I didn't find it. Um, but at worst, this sort of image, um, although, you know, it comes up in my mind, isn't the most accurate. At best, it's, it seems to be sort of a wild hope that this error is going to hold up, even though physics says it's not, or a desperate wish, a hollow wish. Um, and you may have also heard it said that there are no atheists in foxholes in the middle of war, for example. Um, you know, that once you've been bombed or shot at or assaulted uh, it's, or put through whatever difficulty, really, it's very difficult to not cry out to God thinking there really must be something else. But this, again, seems really like desperation to me, really a hope. Um, and these kind of quips portray faith really as reactive. It's something that, ha- that happens as a result of ha- something that happens to us when we reach out in sort of a desperate cry rather than than something that's really proactive, um, based on a promise, and even more importantly, based on a person. And the Bible doesn't really talk about faith as a mere wish. Um, Yahweh, faithful God, it focuses on the person of Yahweh in that song that we just sang. Um, And uh, it doesn't talk about faith as a mere wish, nor is there a book of Wiley Coyote, fortunate for all of us. So what does the Bible actually um, say about faith? And before we dive into that, um, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much this morning for uh, the opportunity just to, um, to uh, venture with you uh, in the adventure of faith, Lord, um, for the, the fact that the object of our faith isn't desperation, but a person, the person of Christ Jesus, Lord, uh, the God of the Old Testament that gave us a fulfilled promise in Christ in the New Testament, Lord. And even as we explore what your word says about faith this morning, we're reminded of places in this world that desperately need you that uh, may be crying out to you in faith. We think of the country of South Sudan right now, Lord, that is being ripped apart by political and ethnic strife, Lord. And we pray for those that desperately need you and that you would uh, infuse that country with your faith, with your person and your spirit, Lord. And we ask these things in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. So for the past several weeks, uh, we've been going through the book of Hebrews, and uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it tells us um, that faith is confidence. It is confidence uh, and uh, confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we um, do not see. Um, and really, my first sermon point, uh, and you know, I, I think I have something like seven and a half 
is, is that faith um, is really confidence and, and assurance. Um, it's, not merely, it's not merely desperation. Um, and I know sermons are supposed to have three points, and I apologize for the seven and a half or whatever I have. Um, but I, yeah, I think I have like four, so we'll keep it at that. And I also know what you're thinking. Uh, what's this boy doing sitting in the chair? That's not really normal. Um, but, uh, and, he, and he's trying to preach, and that is perhaps weird. Um, but here's the deal. Before, before I actually sat, sat in this chair, uh, I didn't examine it to see if it was um, welded or, or screwed together properly. I didn't really test it. Um, I didn't, you know, read a specification sheet uh, or make sure it was really put together properly. It's not necessarily a bad thing to do to explore whether or not it is, but I just kind of sat my old self down in the chair. Um, I had confidence in the welding and the screws that I did not see. Um, I had assurance that would hold up even without testing it. Um, why is a good question. Um, probably because uh, chairs like it had proven themselves in the past. Um, I'd seen others sit down in them. I've heard others testify that that chair works. Um, that chair is okay. It didn't let me down, for example. Um, and so at some level, I had a confidence and uh, assurance in the chair before uh, I actually sat down in it. And that really, in a very simple way, is an illustration of faith, and in some ways we demonstrate our faith every day in very simple ways, although sometimes we make it out to be a hugely spiritual concept. We are actually, and it is, but we are actually demonstrating our faith in many ways uh, over the course of our lives. Um, But ultimately, faith is confidently putting yourself in the hands of something or someone that you don't necessarily completely understand, but whose character has proven itself in the past. And the question really I have for myself and for all of us is, am I willing to give God as much credit I do a chair? So our scripture reading today uh, really focuses on, again, the book of Hebrews. Uh, And the past few weeks, we've been looking at the faith of a few individuals in the Bible. Uh, Dustin Carpenter spoke a few weeks ago of the faith of Abraham, and last week John Prophet spoke of the faith of Moses. And frankly, anytime you have a prophet and a carpenter preaching to you, um, I think that's a good thing. So I feel that um, I've been well prepared. So thanks to both of you guys on that. So by faith, Abraham, by faith, Moses, uh, today, let's look at the people of God as a whole. So today is by faith, the people. And Hebrews eleven twenty nine through 40 demonstrates the faith of God's people and the actions they are willing to take, even when times seemed very uncertain, as they may seem for many of us here in the room. Death may have felt imminent. Rejection and defeat seemed uh, guaranteed. So with that, let's look at Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verses 29 through 40. It says, By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she was welcomed, she had welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have the time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were put to death by the sword. 
They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what they had been promised. God had planned something better for us that only together with us would they be made perfect. Amen. So really, as we read this passage, we see by faith Abraham, by faith Isaac, by faith Jacob, by faith Moses. That's how the chapter really begins. And then here in this passage we just read now, we see by faith Abel and Enoch, Noah, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and not just men, but women, faith of Sarah and Rahab. And the Bible is filled with men and women, uh, like each of us, people filled with weaknesses and frailties. Uh, who believed God when he said he would give them freedom from sin, ultimately, eternal life in paradise, and love them with an everlasting love, as it says in Jeremiah 31. So really, the second point is this, that faith looks to the promise and to the person, not to the circumstance. The point here is that in each of these cases, they really trusted God to care for them, even if the immediate situation just seemed absolutely messy or confusing or hopeless, as it might seem for each of us. And they did not look at the immediate circumstances. In some cases, they had to wait years, perhaps even a lifetime. And verse 13 actually notes that all these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things they promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Are we willing to do the same when the circumstances may seem difficult? But what does God have in the future? Do we believe in his character, in his goodness? In one of our Sunday school classes, we're talking about the fear of man and trusting God, that he is indeed faithful. Do we really believe that? Do we believe that we can totally put our faith in God and trust him for identity and trust him for our well-being in the future? In the book of Daniel, we even discussed this this morning in Sunday school. In the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were about to be thrown into a furnace, burned alive, and rather than look at the circumstance, look at that immediate terror of the furnace, they actually turned around and they said, you know, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us. They knew the person of God. He is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand, they said. But even if he does not, even if these immediate circumstances don't pan out that way, we trust him for the future, essentially they're saying, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods. They trusted him that much. They trusted that future promise, even if those circumstances were not necessarily to go away. In effect, they were saying, we will look past the furnace and we will look to the person, to the character of our God and to the promise given in eternity. Hebrews 11.17 notes that these men and women of faith were not so much longing for the world to become perfect, for the immediate circumstance to change. They weren't looking for the furnace to go away, for the trial to pass. They were looking for, it says, a better country, a heavenly one, to that future promise, that future destination that the person they knew, Christ Jesus, had promised them. They knew that God was preparing a city for them. However, the really interesting thing in the passage is that the reality is that because of God's grace, he actually did change the circumstances in many of these cases. He does promise us an amazing eternity of forgiveness of sin 
an eternal and amazing life with him, an abundant life with him. But the reality is, in many cases, he actually does deliver us from these circumstances. And are we, are we prepared to trust in his goodness, his common grace, as Joel mentioned earlier, his common grace to deliver us in those ways? Even this imperfect world, simply out of his goodness and love, he did save them, ultimately, from the furnace. He did part the sea. He did actually deliver the Israelites from exile, and he broke down the walls of Jericho. He saved you and me from the hideous slavery to sin that we previously experienced. He did those things. Even in this reality, in this world, in this imperfect world, it's something to praise him about and to love him for. And there may be some in this day who find it hard uh, to, lo- to look past the circumstances, and I have been one of those very easily. But are we willing to trust the goodness of our God? Are we willing to look past those circumstances and to look to his person and his perfection and his future plans instead of the immediate situation. Looking to Christ in that future hope offers strength instead of despair. He promises strength instead of despair. In fact, in Isaiah 40, 31, he says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That if we were to look to that future, it actually promises strength and stability and life and hope for us. And the third point is really this, that faith and action often go together. It's very easy sometimes to simply say, God, just get me out of this, you know, just hold up the thin air right below me, just get me out of it, I'll do whatever it takes, just just take away the circumstance, just yank me out of it. But in verses 29 through 31, we see that God really doesn't usually work that way. God does not often magically just resolve the problems of each of these people but he does actually require that they take some action in a demonstration of their faith of him. Rahab still had to risk her life to protect Israel's spies, for example. The people of Israel still had to take that first step into the middle of the Red Sea and to trust that those waters on either side were going to hold back. They had to do that. Joshua and the army of Israel still had to march around Jericho blasting the trumpets, assuming in faith that those walls would still fall. They had to take that action. One thing God doesn't promise to do in the Bible is to be our genie and just to snap us out of whatever the circumstance might be, nor does he ask us to really be his robots, to simply move ahead in totally blind faith. He asks, he asks us to walk ahead with him in relationship, to know him as a person, to know his character, and to trust that person in moving us forward. He promises to be our God, and he desires relationship with his creation. Leviticus 26.12 says, I will walk among you. The God of the universe promises. He says, I will walk among you. I will be your God and you will be my people. So it's impossible to really know God unless I take that action to walk with him, to step out on faith, demonstrating at some level, however small it might be, my own trust for him to really see his character. I can't experience that unless I take that first step of faith. And if I never take that first step, for example, of sharing my heart or my own fears or my weaknesses with other people, with my friends or with my family, will I really ever get to know their character if I don't step out on faith and be vulnerable with them? And the same is true of God. How can we really know him if we don't step out and say, I see, I see inform what you claim to be, but until I really experience it and really put some small measure of faith in it, I'm not going to know whether you're really good to your word. And the more that we do experience that, we know that he is good to his word and he will hold us up. 
So it is with God if the Israelites had never set foot in the Red Sea, for example. Uh, then they may well have missed something huge. And so maybe God is asking you at some level today to step in the midst of your own Red Sea to see if those waters are going to part and to show you something about himself. So the unorthodox sermon point four is this. Faith is not ultimately about what we do, though, although God may ask us to do something, but it's about who God really is. Faith may require action, but it is ultimately proven. It ultimately becomes stronger because the object of our faith is a God who does not change. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So we're not trusting in a circumstance. We're trusting in a person. No matter how much Wiley Coyote wants to trust in his circumstance to believe that the air is going to hold him up, it's going to fail him every time. He doesn't have the person beyond that. But for those of us who know Jesus, the Jesus that's even promised in this passage, that future hope that God promises to the Israelites, those of us who know that future hope, that know Jesus, who have trusted him despite the circumstances, will tell you that despite those circumstances, he is indeed faithful. And when you're feeling like Wiley Coyote, like we all do from, from time to time, remember the book of Jude, chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. And there it says, it describes God as him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, that he, his person, is able to keep us from falling. Not the circumstances, not the action that we take, although he may ask us to step out in faith, but ultimately is him that will hold us up out over that thin air when we are terrified of the circumstance. So there are many of these stories actually all around you. As I look at the faces here in the auditorium, I know that there are many of you who have stepped out over that thin air only to see God provide and to be that faithful to you. And here, uh, there are those that are glad to share those stories. And I would encourage you to share those with each other even here after the service. And as Joel was mentioning briefly, that just in three days from now, we'll be celebrating the holiday of Christmas. And as we do, I would encourage you to remember and to read through the Christmas story and to look past the plastic mangers and the plastic uh, uh, nativity scenes to the person, the real person of Christ. God not only brought the Israelites across the Red Sea, but promised them and the world a savior, a baby born in a manger in Bethlehem to save the entire world from its sinful desires. And are these really words that just sound good? Are these just plastic scenes that we see out there in our neighborhoods, or is this a reality? And I would submit, actually, that the words do sound really good, to be totally liberated from our sin, from our angst, from our worry, um, from a sinful planet when places crumble or circumstances crumble before us. They do sound good because God ultimately is good. That's why those words sound good, because he is the one who authored them, and he is good and makes good on those promises. So if you've really never ultimately trusted Jesus as your Savior, I would be glad to speak with you about this, and I would encourage you to do so. And there are many in this auditorium who'd be glad to share that with you and to help you understand that he really is just as good as his word. And it's easier actually to have faith when we know that others have gone before us, just as this, this passage says, that they walked around in sackcloth or in, in, in desert areas and sawn in two and persecuted and tortured. And it's easier to know that there are others that have gone before you and have seen God be faithful to his word. And finally, once you have trusted Christ and found that he didn't let you down, it'll be that much easier to continue 
to trust him again and again and again when those circumstances continue to become uh, a reality in your life. And they will continue, but it will become easier to trust him, not because you've learned somehow to psychologically deal with it or to take some specific action, but you've become familiar with and you have come to know a person who is absolutely faithful and loving and whom you know deeply cares about you and your future. So in a moment, we'll actually sing a song called uh, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus, and it's a very um, old hymn, um, one that I grew up singing at any rate, and I would encourage you, whether you believe in Christ or not, to listen to the words uh, and to actually ask yourself if you're willing to trust him in the circumstances with all your burdens this Christmas season and beyond. So I I started out talking about this chair, and um, ultimately it, it looks okay, it looks pretty reliable, does the Bible look okay? Does it seem reliable to you? Do those words seem, seem good? I mean, other folks have said this chair is okay. They've said it looks pretty decent. I mean, we use them all the time. Sure, it's fine. Go ahead. I've heard others say the same about Jesus. Am I willing to trust what others have said about Jesus, what Jesus has said about himself? And heck, I've actually sat in the chair before. I might as well sit in it again. I've put my faith here once before. Am I willing to put it here again? And once I've trusted Jesus, it's easier to trust him over and over and over again. So I might as well just sit and rest in my faith. So let me just encourage you before you leave here today to share um, any of these stories you might have with one another, uh, with someone, uh, share with them what God has done in your life and how his faith, uh, faithfulness to you has proved true to his word as we see in the Bible. Ultimately, you never know who may need to hear that especially this Christmas season, a very joyous time, uh, but a time when we also may carry our burdens into it, and God is faithful to carry us through those. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this time this morning to um, examine your word, to examine your faithfulness to us. Um, We are thankful that you are, in fact, true to your word, that in so many cases, uh, just here amidst this community, through financial burden or family difficulties or uh, work strain or unemployment uh, or relationship difficulties, you have walked us through so many challenges, Lord, and you have proven faithful to your word just as you were to the Israelites those many, many years ago. So we thank you for that in this Christmas season. We praise you and thank you for, again, being faithful to your promise of sending us a Savior in the form of Christ Jesus, this baby born in a manger, who ultimately grew to take our sins from us and to give us eternal life with you, Lord. We thank you for these things, and we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.